Go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me today to John chapter 12, if you will. We've been walking through the book of John in a sermon series we've entitled Conflict Revolution. And today we're going to bring that series to a conclusion as we lead up to Easter next Sunday. And of course, next Sunday, it's Resurrection Sunday. Can you guess what we're going to talk about? The resurrection. There it is. And so we'll have the opportunity of celebrating what Jesus has done for us next week. And then the following week, starting a new sermon series called You Asked For It. And we've gotten hundreds and hundreds of uh, responses from you of things that you want to talk about. And I told you I was going to share that with you today. I lied. I'm not. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm still going through all of that, but we'll send an email out this week to all of you and let you know uh, exactly what we're going to talk about for those six weeks leading uh, out of Easter on the 16th of April as we walk up towards the end of the spring. But today, we're talking about conflict, and we're talking about the revolution that came because of Christ. Now, we have been walking through lots of different moments, and in fact, if you spend time studying the life of Christ, you'll see that there's conflict everywhere. Uh, it goes all the way back to the moment that at, you know, at the, at the age of 30, when he began his earthly ministry, like it seemed like ministry started, conflict started. Which, by the way, if you're in ministry, that sounds like pretty much all of us in ministry, that conflict started right at the moment that we entered into ministry. And here's why, because Satan is always going to attack you when you are doing what God has called you to do. And so, in this journey that Jesus was on, certainly there was conflict all along the way. And so, we've talked about that. We've talked about, like, all of the different levels, and there are moments throughout uh, the ministry of Christ in that three years where they even sought to kill Him. You go to Luke chapter 4, John chapter 8, John chapter 10. I mean, they tried to throw him off the mountain in Nazareth, and he just disappeared. How cool is that? Wouldn't that be cool? Like a cool trick? Like somebody coming after you, you know, like snap your fingers, and you're like gone. And Jesus did that. They tried to stone him one time in the temple, and they picked up rocks, and they were going to actually kill him in that moment. And instantly, it says that he passed through them. I don't know what that means, really. I mean, you think about it, you read it and take it for its literal word, and like, did he like pass through them going out where they felt like something hit them? I don't know. Here's what I know, that Jesus could always transcend anything anyone was trying to do to him. And what I know is this, is that Jesus was only going to allow himself to die at the time and in the manner that the Father had prescribed. And that today is what we're going to talk a little bit about in John chapter 12. Now, John chapter 12, we read the story of the week leading up to the death of Christ. We read the story that started with, like, celebration. It started with with worship. It started, like, really in a good way. And then right after that, they started hitting on Jesus, tried to stop Him. They tried to criticize Him, even those that were in His group of disciples. And then it came back where they were celebrating Him again on that Palm Sunday, and then that Palm Sunday celebration culminated with his arrest, and with his beating, and with his death. And so today, all of that is found in John chapter 12, and we're going we're gonna to walk through this and talk about this in this, this season of, of, of celebration and also in criticism and attack. And so, I've entitled this sermon, A Week of Confusion, because you've got to be honest, like if you went through a whole week where like on one day everybody is like celebrating you and thinking you're awesome, and then the next day they're criticizing you, and then the next day they're celebrating you, and then the next day they're trying to kill you, that's a confusing week, wouldn't you say? 
And so that is the week of confusion that started on that holy week going back 2,000 years. And let's go, if we could, to John chapter 12. We're going to begin with verse 1, and we're going to start seeing, talking about how Jesus was praised in this moment, how the week started. It says, so six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one that Jesus had raised from the dead. And verse uh, 2, it says, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, appointed, uh, anointed, I'm sorry, Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair, so the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, set the stage. Jesus goes back to Bethany. Again, this is the week like leading up to the six days before the Passover. The Passover is going to come on that Saturday leading up uh, to that, uh, that day, that, the day before when Jesus was, was crucified. And so when you look at the picture, when you look at what's happening here, Jesus arrives in Bethany. When we go back in Jesus' ministry, we see what happened in Bethany, right? Like that's where he raised Lazarus from the dead, which by the way is a pretty big deal. And so when Jesus came to the city, when he came back to visit the city, everyone remembered, hey, this dude Lazarus that lives down the street, like he was once dead, but because Jesus, when he was here last time, he raised Lazarus from the grave. He walked out of the grave after four days in the grave, and he's still alive today. And so it says, we just read it, they threw a dinner party for him. Now you can imagine, this was a celebration. They, they threw this big banquet, they threw this big celebration, it's kind of like a, you know, kind of a, a, a remembrance, if you will, of what happened before when Lazarus was dead and Jesus raised him from the grave. So you can see like right up front, like they're celebrating the fact that Jesus had come back to town. Now I don't have any doubts that probably people in that city who had had loved ones who had died since the last time Jesus were there, they probably wanted to show up at that dinner, didn't they? They were probably like, man, maybe he'll do it for, you know, Aunt Mary over here, or maybe he'll do it for like, you know, you know Uncle Sam over here. And they, so they're showing up to the party, they're showing up to the banquet. But in that moment of that banquet, that celebration where Jesus was being praised, they threw a, a banquet, a celebration for him. There are a couple of things that happened that were really interesting. Because it says, as Jesus was sitting at the table, Lazarus was there with him, that then Mary came to the table, and it says that she brought a pound of perfume, and it says a, a pure and expensive nard. How many of you know what nard is? Not lard. We know what lard is, right? Yeah, and, and so what it's saying, it's kind of this picture, there's this thing, in fact, some of the other translations, the, the King James uses the word spikenard, and, and what this was is a, a very uh, rare perfume, it was an ointment that was extracted from the Himalayas, like right on the border between Tibet and India and Nepal and that area, right up in the Himalayan mountains, like it's really high, very difficult to get, to, uh, to pull out, very difficult to transport from there all the way back to Israel. And so you know, like this was something that was precious. And it was not only like precious in the sense of like every ounce, every little drop of that, that nard, that perfume was expensive, was valuable, was important. Like what it also was, was like this was now a pound of it, like a pound of perfume. Now this is not the perfume that you buy at the grocery store, okay? This is not the, you know, like $4 for the pound of perfume that you can get at Kroger's or, or Winn-Dixie or something like that. No, this is like very rare. This is like the most expensive, like the stuff that you would buy on, you know, on Madison Avenue or Park Avenue in New York, like the, the, the thing that you'd have to go in and, and spend like tons of money to get. And she had a pound of this stuff and she came and it says that she began anointing the feet of Jesus. 
Now, we'll read it in a moment that this was such a valuable gift that Mary was giving that Judas himself even referred to it as something that could be sold for 300 denarii. Now, just so you know and understand the context here, that a denarii was a day's wage. So, like, whatever you make in a day, like, just think in your mind, like, whatever you make in a normal day at your job, that what this pound of perfume was worth was 300 days of what just ran through your mind, okay? So, that's how valuable this thing was. In fact, uh, some people have said that in today's dollars, it would be something that would be worth somewhere between forty and fifty thousand dollars that she walked into the room. So, let's just take that number, fifty thousand dollars. Mary walks into the room with fifty thousand dollars of this perfume, and she poured it out on the feet of Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think for a moment that that was a pretty important thing for her to do of worship? Like, that was a pretty significant moment for her, wasn't it? Like, it wasn't like she came and like she pulled out like, you know, a couple of of bucks out of her pocket and said, I I want to give this to the the work of Christ. I want to give this to you. No, she poured out like $50,000 on Jesus' feet. But then there's also another part of this story that we just read a moment ago, and it says that she took down her hair and she began wiping his feet with her hair. Now, to us, that sounds weird. Doesn't it sound weird? Well, it's more than weird back in those days. Back in those days, it was unheard of. In fact, in those days, it was scandalous. In fact, if you go in the Mishnah, which was the, you know, kind of the, the traditional Jewish oral law, like, like what they had to follow, and even still today, people follow in the Jewish faith, like this is how we must live, and this is what we must do to follow the laws of Moses. In the Mishnah, it says this, that if a woman uncovers her hair, lets down her hair in public, that her husband can divorce her because of it. Like, like literally, this was a scandalous thing. And so she began washing the feet of Jesus with her hair. And then it says, and the entire place, the entire house was like overwhelmed by and overcome by this fragrance, this beautiful fragrance that was coming from this $50,000 worth of perfume. Now, I say all of that to say this, that this week, this last week of Jesus' life before His crucifixion, it started with a pretty amazing picture of worship arguably the most significant act of worship that we find in all of His ministry. That Mary literally gave so much that she was willing to like humble herself by washing His feet and also humiliate herself by letting down her hair to use her hair to wash His feet. Like that's a pretty significant level of worship. Now I say that because it's important to recognize the conflicts that came from a moment that probably at that moment people around were looking at what was happening. Jesus, of course, knew exactly what was going to happen, but people probably looking at Him and looking at this moment, looking at the situation, thinking like, man, this is going to be a great week. This Passover week, man, it's going to be great. Uh, some uh, theologians, Josephus even writes uh, uh, in his writings that, that there were somewhere like around two to two and a half million people that had traveled to Jerusalem for this Passover festival. And so, like, it was a big deal. And they're probably thinking, man, this is going to be a really good week. Look what just happened, $50,000 worth of of value, 300 days wages, like poured out onto the feet of Jesus, and she washed His feet with her hair. Like, this is going to be a great week. And then all of a sudden, things changed. Because what started with Jesus being praised continued with Jesus being criticized. Look what it says in the next verse. In the next verse, it says this, then one of His disciples, shocking, Judas Iscariot, 
the one who uh, was about to betray him, said, why was it this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he was in charge of the money uh, bag, and he would steal part of it, uh, what was in it for himself. And Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of, your, of my burial, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, the reason this is an important part an important part of the statement was not just simply like Judas, like showing his true colors, showing who he was. What this was, was this, that clearly Jesus validated the worship that was being shown by Mary. Jesus took this moment to say, hey, listen, this week, like this is a big week for me because I've come to where I'm supposed to do here. I'm going to die in a few days. I'm not going to be with you in a few days. And so listen, you've got time to do your work. You've got time to be busy. You've got time to minister. You've got time to reach the poor, to reach the lost. You've got time to preach the gospel. I'm not going to be here long, so let's let her worship. That's a powerful message for you and me. Because there are lots of different denominations and lots of different ministries and lots of different churches today that are so focused on doing the work of God that they have lost sight of the worship of God. Oftentimes we refer to this as a social gospel. You've heard the phrase that people said, well, you know, St. Francis of Assisi, you know, that great phrase that he said that one time that, hey, at all times preach the gospel and if necessary use words. The problem is he never said it. And in fact, if you go back and study the life of Francis of Assisi, what he did is he preached the gospel everywhere he went. Yes, he cared about people who were hurting. Yes, he ministered to those who were less fortunate. But all along the way, he was preaching the gospel. You see, today, we have a perverted gospel in a lot of places, in a lot of churches, in a lot of ministries, in a lot of denominations, because we are more focused on helping people who are hurting without bringing with it the message of the gospel. What I would say to you is this is we got to do both. And Jesus was making it clear, absolutely, man, you've got to help people. Yes, you're always going to have people there that are in need. Yes, you're always going to have to minister to them. But oh, don't lose sight of the worship. Jesus validated the worship that was taking place. And so we see this, like Judas obviously doing what Judas was going to do. He was mad because that was money being poured out on the ground. That could have been money that he could have, you know, skimmed off the top, and he understood that. But I think the greater lesson here is what Jesus taught us. Don't ever lose sight of the importance of worship. Now, we keep walking through this passage again. We started the week with Jesus being praised and worshiped in, a, in an overwhelming way. Then we see now this next step where he's being, you know, criticized by Judas, one of his own disciples. And, and so Jesus, you know, says, no, 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 but he validates the worship. But then let's see what happens next, because once again, Jesus was praised. Jesus was welcomed in Jerusalem. Remember now, two to two and a half million people had come to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. They're all there. And listen to what it says in this passage in verse 9. And there was a large crowd of the Jews. uh, I'm sorry. A large crowd of the Jews learned he was there. They learned he was in Bethany. And they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one that he had raised from the dead. 
But the chief priest had decided to kill Lazarus also because he was the reason many of the Jews were departing, uh, were deserting them and believing in Jesus. And so the next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival, again, two to two and a half million, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and they went out to meet him and they kept shouting, Hosanna, which is translated, save me. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young, young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written in the Old Testament, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, this means later after He had had, uh, ascended into heaven, then they remembered that these things had been written about Him and that they had uh, done these things to Him. Meanwhile, it says, verse 17, the crowd which had been with Him when He called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised Him from the dead continued to testify. Now, what we see in this passage again is two very important things. So Jesus was welcomed back into the city. He was praised, celebrated, throwing palm branches on the ground. Hosanna, save me, which was a, a declaration of his Messiahship, you know, kind of connecting him to the messianic uh, prophecies that are found in the Old Testament. They recognize, like, this Jesus is different. And not only that, but the picture that we're given here is that the, it says that the large group of people who had come to Jerusalem for the festival, that means like it wasn't just a few people, it wasn't just a few of his followers that were there on that road that day celebrating the arrival of Jesus into the city. There were thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands that were there crying out, Hosanna, save me. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, O King of Israel. They were declaring that Jesus was at least connected to the Messianic prophecies. But we also see in this passage another conflict. And what was the conflict? Well, the conflict had to do with Lazarus. We read it in the first part of this passage. Because as they came to see Jesus, they also came to see Lazarus. Why? Because he had been raised from the dead. You think, well, why would he do that? Well, let me be honest. If you were ever in a city where someone who was once dead and now was walking around, I can guarantee you, you're going to show up to see him. I mean, that's why the Walking Dead TV show did so well, you know, because people wanted to see. Like, hey, yeah, we would absolutely be there. Man, I want to see this Lazarus dude. He was dead and now he's alive. Like, how cool is that? Do you think he walks the same? Do you think he talks the same? Does he look the same? Does he still smell? Come on, you know the questions are there. And so they're all coming to see, but the chief priests, the Pharisees, are sitting there and they're looking at Lazarus and it says this, this is the first case of cancel culture that existed on the face of the earth. It says they wanted to kill him because of what he was doing and because of his pointing back to the the power of Christ that they wanted to kill him because people were believing in Jesus because of the life of Lazarus. And so they wanted to shut him down. They wanted to destroy him. So you can see like there's conflict, there's celebration. There's conflict, there's celebration. There's conflict, there's celebration. Everywhere Jesus went during this week. When Jesus rode into the city, everybody's sitting there again, probably thinking like, man, this is going to be a really good week. Yeah, we're here for the Passover. We came, millions of us came for this moment. And now this is incredible. Like Jesus himself is here for the Passover. And yes, man, Hosanna, save me because you are the King of Israel. And we, you know, blessed are you because you come in the name of the Lord. And that was not simply saying like he was there declaring God. They were saying that because he was there as God. And so you got to sit back and think, well, man, everybody's saying this is going to be a great week. This is incredible. But that's not how it ended, is it? You see, Jesus was praised and then he was criticized. Jesus was welcomed and then he was killed. Look what it says in the last part of John chapter 12. 
in verse 23. Jesus replied to them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, Jesus used this part of this story and kind of put in a little, small little parable in this moment. And the parable had to do with the seed that fell to the ground and died. And people understood that because that's how people lived back in those days. They didn't go to McDonald's drive throughs to get their food. They weren't showing up at Chick-fil-A's Mondays through Saturdays to get their food and get chicken. No, that's not what they did. The only way they could eat is actually to grow their food and to slaughter their animals that they owned. And so they understood that the only way that they could get food in their gardens is if a seed would die. And so Jesus used that reference to say, if a seed dies, then it produces much fruit, using that story to point to what he was about to do. But I love the last part of this passage that I read a moment ago, because in verse 27, Jesus said, my soul is troubled. Man, I don't want to do this, really. Man, my soul is troubled because I know it's to come. Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No. Listen to what he said. This is why I came. Jesus came for this moment. And all the stories that we've read of conflict and and the revolution that came through that conflict, and all the statements that Jesus made when he was attacked, when they tried to kill him, when they tried to destroy him, and everything that he did during his entire life on this earth, it all pointed and it all culminated in this moment. This is why I came to save the world. We go back to this passage. And we have the opportunity of recognizing and understanding through Jesus' own words. It's why I'm here. It's why I did this. It's why I, I'm going to allow them to arrest me. It's why I'm going to allow them to beat me. And it's why I'm going to allow them to nail me to a cross and, and to put me up in the ground and, and set me there for people to walk by and mock me as I lying there dying. This is why I came. And why is it? For you and me. He came to do that for us. We saw that story this morning of Daniel. When Jesus spoke these words 2,000 years ago, this is why I came. In a way, he was saying those words to Daniel, who just a few weeks ago, sitting in his car, attempted to take his life. Jesus came to save Daniel. Sitting in this room, thousands of stories, thousands of situations, this is why Jesus came, to save you. Where you are, what you've done, how you've lived, this is the very reason he was here. So let me give you a couple quick thoughts that we can kind of take out of this message of how we can live our own lives. And these, again, are just simple statements, but man, we need to be reminded of them. 
because we live in a culture today where everything tries to keep us from living the way that God intends for us to live. The first one's this. Never allow your worship to be crowded out by your own preferences or your own desires. Never allow your worship of Jesus to be crowded out by what you want or what you want to do or what you want to desire or what you want to have. Judas wanted that money. He wanted that, that power that came through being wealthy. Never allow your worship to be crowded out by that. And the culture will tell you the complete opposite. Man, don't give of your time. Don't give of your talent. Don't give of your treasure to the church. Come on, that's a waste of time. Don't do that stuff. You've got better things to do. Never allow your worship to be crowded out. Second thing, never allow the testimony of what Jesus has done in your life to be watered down or silenced because of the will of the people. This is important today. It will be more important tomorrow. It will be more important in the days to come because everything in our culture is going to try to get you to stop talking about Jesus. They wanted to kill Lazarus because people were believing in Jesus because he was a walking testimony of the power of Jesus. Hey, you are a walking testimony of the power of Jesus. Don't let the will of the people stop you from pointing all the praise, all the worship to Christ and Christ alone. And then third, focus your life on what it is that you're supposed to do, regardless of the distractions, regardless of the criticism, regardless of the difficulties. Just as Jesus made that declaration, this is why I'm here for you. Find that same answer for yourself. Why am I here? You're here to bring glory and honor to the only one who is worthy of our praise, and that is Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, O our great King. That's why he's come. Worship him and him alone. Father, today we thank you for the reminders we get in your word of the things that are important. Because God, just as there was pressure then, there's pressure now. Just as culture tried to stop them then, culture tries to stop us today. And God, I pray that in our lives, in our walk, in our journey, in our message that we share of how we live and what we do, God, I pray that we will always point people to you. God, if there is someone here today that that life, their life is being uh, kind of uh, challenged by the cancel culture, challenged by the, the pressure and the attacks that come because of following Christ and they're, they're giving in, they're, they're, they're wavering in their faith. God, I pray today, strengthen them in only the way that you can. God, I pray that if there's someone here today who, who's heard the gospel and they say, man, I want to believe, but man, I'm just not sure that, I'm not sure what people will think, and I'm not sure if I can do this, I'm not, I'm not sure if I can give my life to Christ. But God, I pray that today that you would speak truth into their hearts and let them know that it's the greatest decision that they could ever make for today and for eternity. God, we thank you for loving us because we don't deserve it. And God, we praise you today. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, our team is coming here. We're going to stand and we're going to sing just this one time through the song that we sang a little while ago, the power of what Jesus did. And as we do, we're going to stand. And if you're here today and you want to meet Christ, 
you want to meet this one who came to save you, it's why he came, it's why he died, I just encourage you to make your way down to the front and talk with one of our team members here. We love to share the gospel with you. Maybe there's a Daniel in the room like you heard a little while ago who's sitting here today saying, God, if you're real, save me. Well, let me just tell you, God is real. And his desire today is to save you. So maybe you want to come down and just talk to one of our team. Hey, God, I want to know more about him. I want to know more about Christ. We encourage you to do that. Maybe, maybe you want to come today and join our church family or come for baptism. Well, whatever it is, let's stand and let's sing these words together as Charles leads us. Let's step out right now. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in all of you. I'm in. your love. We're overwhelmed by your gift, the gift of your son. And so God, now as we leave this place in a moment, encourage us and strengthen us and guide us and lead us. Lord, help us to stand up, to be proud of who you are and what you've done. God, never allow us to walk away from what's really important, to get distracted by what's happening around us. God, that we will live our lives in worship and praise of you and you alone. And God, for that, we give you the praise and you give us that strength. And Lord, we pray this prayer in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Our team is here. We'd love to talk with you. Make your way down to the front. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you this week. Remember, next Sunday, Easter, invite people to come with you next Sunday, Easter Sunday. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.